to determine the extent to which the contamination has gotten out there. I mean, there's aerial stuff, things that went into the atmosphere that just painted across the landscape. But what's going on with the, the soil and water? Are, what are they doing? Well, to my knowledge, um, you know, they're still conducting air sampling, and uh, they have done some soil sampling. They've done some testing of the uh, municipality's water as well as residential wells. Um, you got to remember, though, that the people that are conducting these tests are being overseen by the Ohio EPA and overseen by the federal EPA, but they're contractors of Norfolk Southern. And there's been some criticism as to whether or not, uh, you know, they're testing for the right things, whether the, um, you know, the, the um, levels are correct. You know, so there's been some criticism of some of the testing that's being done, and it's kind of like the fox watching the hen house. Hey, yeah, I was going to ask you to back up a little bit. They're uh, they're under contract with Norfolk Southern, or are they? Yeah, that's correct. My understanding, Norfolk Southern is in charge of the cleanup, and that is coming from the residents of the town as of two days ago. Right. Yeah, they're, they're, they're contractors of Norfolk Southern being supervised or being overseen by the Ohio EPA and the federal EPA. So that's the now, chain of command. Uh, go ahead, Now, Teresa. what I can tell you, they did remove all of, so when we, when we drove through there, they did remove all of those aeration things that we saw in the creeks before. Uh, so all of that is removed. I did not see any more of, like, the straw barriers and things like that to supposedly collect chemicals in the stream. However, uh, there were signs posted all over at different creeks and different areas testing in progress. Um, we did, I did show those signs on the live stream. Uh, however, um, unlike the previous times when we were there the year before you could see guys out with the trucks and the test kits and i had taken pictures of all of that i did not see the guys with the test kits out this time uh i did see water trucks uh moving water out from east palestine onto the highway we saw some front loaders they've been tearing up the water and sewer systems all over east palestine um and the surrounding area there there's a lot of uh, patchwork on the roads one of the things I found out, interestingly enough, um, for this cleanup, that and I saw it in the comments, and I really did want to touch on this because one of the things that they're doing, since uh, a lot of these other towns and states are refusing to take this water now, they've been putting it through these water treatment facilities, and then they've been trucking it out to all these different places. Um, all of these different states and cities and things are refusing to take this water anymore. So what we heard their new plan is, is to take this contaminated water, put it through the, the water filtration centers or whatever, and then take that water and put it back into the creeks of East Palestine. They're going to put it underneath the soil and drop it into the creeks. That is the newest information that I've gotten so they're going to take this contaminated water, put it through the water treatment facility, and then inject it back into the land. 
um, so which I think is absolutely insane. Here's a couple of questions I have. I don't know if you guys knew this. I happen to be hazmat certified. Well, one of the uh, things that I did when I was in college is uh, I, I did numerous experiments with constructed wetlands for treating all kinds of things, uh, including uh, chemicals. But combining the, the two elements and what a uh, little bit I know about it, one, I'd want to know whether those chemicals are what's either called a, a D-napple or an L-napple, uh, which is a dense non-aqueous phase liquid or a light non-aqueous phase liquid, which simply is a technobabble is does it sink or does it float in the water? And then if it's an aqueous chemical, that means it mixes throughout and you're in real trouble. You've got to treat the entire volume of water. Now, is there a coagulant that could be used on these uh, particular chemicals? And I hearken back to when I used to polish off the, the phosphorus that came out of sewage effluent. It's usually extremely high in phosphorus. And we used to use alum. When you mix alum in there, it would bind with a phosphorus and it turned to jelly. And it was way easier to pick up jelly than it was to try to get a, a molecule of phosphorus. So are there things like that? That's what I would be pressing them on. Key questions. Does this chemical float? Does it sink? Or is it aqueous? Because I'll tell you, you I could go out and fool anybody. I could do a soil test right where ground zero is and if i know that this chemical is likely to sink every time it rains sink and go to the bottom of the water table i can eventually test the soil on the top and say hey oh everything's good now it's gone down below detectable uh limits just based on your your sampling scheme so is there anyone on the ground out there that's asking um technical questions about uh these chemicals uh, there is, uh, there was a guy who was doing independent testing in the area. Um, I forget what his name is. I think it's Scott, um, if I remember correctly. But he was doing independent testing. Uh, they were censoring him big time as he was showing that the dioxin levels are actually going up. Uh, so these, these levels are not going down. These levels are going up over time in the soil and uh, everything. One of the other things that you have to understand, too, is all of this stuff is still in those creeks, and those creeks filter directly into the Ohio River, uh, which means that not only is East Palestine and those surrounding towns affected that had the actual derailment and burn, but all of these chemicals are going into the Ohio River watershed. So this is actually a much, much bigger problem than just a few towns. Uh, this does actually affect a lot of uh, the waterways and stuff. Again, the whole watershed of the Ohio River. And these levels, again, uh, they are showing through independent testing, these levels are just going up. That That's strange. Unless what they're doing is sampling, uh, you know, directly in an, uh, um, you know, at a low point where surface runoff from rain and things like that. Uh, collect in a local low point and the, the material tends to float. Um, I can see where that might happen, but you know, if this is an independent guy that you know, the next trip down there, I wouldn't mind just uh, picking his brain a little bit and 
uh, you know, asking him about his sampling protocol because you can hit or miss something. Something can be there and you can miss it and vice versa. Uh, you know, so your sampling protocol has got to be solid and you got to know uh, a lot about that uh, chemical itself, too. Um, but getting to the impacts, uh, we are heard right in text chat people down there, uh, nosebleeds, headaches, and all kinds of things. Um, you're getting at that one year mark where you're probably just going to start seeing uh, babies being born to uh, mothers and parents who might have been there. But uh, is there anything, is there even a blip on the screen there as far as uh, deformities or birth defects? Or is it just too early to tell, you think? Uh, well, I actually asked uh, one of one of the uh, people who's very prominent in their town is uh, Dr. Rick Chai, and I did ask him if he had seen like an uptick in in any of the you know anything major like that. Now he did say it is a little early to tell because some of these effects um, obviously uh, may not appear right away. But there is, he said, you know, there is sort of an uptake with some of the, the lung issues, some of the rashes, things like that, uh, that people are experiencing. But it's it's really hard to say, oh, it's definitely from this, uh, because again, correlation does not equal causation. And we all know that, but so we have to be very, very careful when we discuss these things. However, um, you know, Given the circumstances and everything that's happened, I mean, I, I know just from talking to the, the folks in the town uh, that a lot of them have been experiencing a lot of those issues. And, and another thing to keep in mind, guys, is at this point a year later, there are a lot of people that are so disgusted with the way this has been handled. Uh, it's created a lot of division in the town, people that just want this to go away. Uh, versus people who say, hey, we want justice, and we don't want this to happen to any other towns. Um, so, you know, it, it creates a really interesting dynamic there of people who will talk, people who won't talk. So, unfortunately, we still don't get the entire story uh, because, again, these people, you know, they're being bullied by Norfolk Southern and by the government, by the EPA. Um, we did I did notice uh, Norfolk Southern has bought up a lot of the buildings in East Palestine and the surrounding areas at this point, um, including actually, which which is I, I didn't even realize it at first, but Britain Motors, where we had our very first donation distribution, it was right next to the tracks that uh, the derailment had happened on, and that building has been bought by Norfolk Southern, and Britain Motors has moved like a block and a half down the road. Wow! So that's. Uh yeah, that's uh, bothersome. <laughs> uh, I mean, are they limiting your access now? Is uh, is that what's going on, uh, or are they still allowing people to to go in there? Um, well, you're uh, so they have opened up Taggart Street, and Taggart Street is where the derailment and burn actually happened. Now that road was closed last year when we were there. As a matter of fact, when I went to go film that, one of the residents had taken us as close as we could get at the time. Uh, when I was live streaming, and we had three black SUVs pull up behind us uh, the first time we were there. Um, now, at this time, like I said, the street is open. Now, I don't know if you can actually walk the street. I did not get out and attempt to do that. Um, that is for my own health reasons, because, again, every time I go 
uh, into East Palestine or in that area, I do suffer after effects for quite a few days, um, even only being there 24, 48 hours top. Um, so it, it's, it's a very, very toxic environment just in general. Um, but the street itself is open. Uh, like I said, you can actually see a lot of those, um, the, the Shamu tanks where they're holding all the water. You can see some of the smaller uh, water holding tanks. You can see the construction where they're working on um, clearing out by the tracks there and putting new stuff down. Um, so it is open uh, per se. So there is a lot more accessibility than what there was. Uh, however, um, I don't, like I said, I wouldn't recommend just traipsing around uh, down that street. <laughs> so do you think uh, there is a lack of of regulation or it, it, did they just not enforce existing were there problems there that should have been caught with the laws and policies and regulation that's in place now well, well I, think it, I think it's I a, think a it, combination yeah I think it's open now because the narrative is that everything's fine you know, that, uh, you know, we're going to finish remediating what we need to remediate because of the accident. However, you know, drinking water's fine, air sampling is fine, everything is okay. You know, um, you know, all the federal agencies are saying it's safe, but yet the president waited over a year to, you know, even visit the town. So that, you know, that shows a little bit of confidence in his own agencies. But, um, but, you know, pivoting a little bit, Dave, is, you know, the fact that, you know, the federal government, uh, you know, was, you know, basically nailed down Norfolk Southern and kicked the can to them, you know, to handle everything, you know. Uh, they, you know, FEMA obviously um, decided that it didn't, meet their threshold for help to the communities. And, you know, it may be all well and good to clean up the site and, you know, put in a new park, uh, you know, do all these nice things, but the people are the ones that are, you know, are left, you know, to pick up the pieces of their lives, have to deal with the health consequences of this, and nothing is really getting to the people. The, the villagers themselves they're not the ones that are you know getting the help it's millions of dollars to, you know to basically clean up their mess and that's kind of what the impetus for us to get involved um, was that we want we wanted to bring aid directly to the people that were impacted a to let them know that they weren't being abandoned by the American public and B, that these were, you know, materials that they needed that they weren't getting, you know. So that really is why our organization stepped up and provided all the disaster relief supplies that we did when we went in there, you know. I mean, we brought truck, trailer truckloads of, of disaster relief products into those communities you know, to, you know, to kind of bolster them up a little bit, but also let them know that, uh, you know, these are things that you need. You need cases of, you know, pallets of water. You know, uh, you need cleaning supplies. You need, uh, you know, all the basics, the food, you know, just 
the expense of their food because, you know, if we defray some of their costs for their everyday living expenses, then they can afford to get the, uh, you know, the independent testing and things like that. You know, that so was out of I, their reach otherwise. I learned after uh, the very first storm relief that I did, uh, I think it was in Texas, uh, we responded to both Texas and Florida, uh, but we learned that there was certain things, you know, food, first aid, uh, you know, things like that, water, uh, those were like first response type of things that we'd bring down, but like after the floodwaters receded and, you know, there was phases to the response, the things that they needed uh, changed after the first, you know, three to five days. Um, are you seeing that there now? I mean, are you guys shifting to where, you know, you, you're bringing in uh, homeopathic things to help chelate these uh, unknowns out of their system as opposed to, you know, food? You know, I'm, I'm sure uh, food has probably become more available to the locals down there. Um, is that shipped in and clean and, you know, there's storefronts where that can be gotten. But, you know, thinking of their health and, you know, the government's not going to do that. <laughs> but are, are you I guess my question is, is there a change? Is there a shift in, in your response, what you're bringing down there for aid? And secondly, how can people uh, help you do that? Yeah, well, um, you'd be surprised. Go ahead, Cherise. I'm sorry. I was going to say, we actually took a poll uh, with the residents, and we, we were asking them uh, the things that they actually needed the most because, um, again, we want to make sure that we're helping and not just bringing them stuff that they don't need. Uh, believe it or not, water is the number one pressing need. A lot of the water donations that they were getting or having brought in have dried up or stopped altogether. And there are still a lot of folks out there with wells and things uh, concerned about the chemicals leaching into those wells. They're still using bottled water. A lot of people in town, because the water coming out of the tap, they don't trust. Um, the, the, biggest, the biggest problem for a lot of these folks is that they're so far behind because they had to be displaced. They had to move to other places. They had to stay in other spots. They had to buy all these water filters and air filtration systems on their own. They didn't really get any help from anywhere uh, for any of these expenses. So <clears throat> when we asked them what they needed, the truth is, is that those basics are actually some of the most important things we can bring so that they can free up their finances to get caught back up. Because this is uh, an at, you know, this is not a very rich area. Um, it's a lot of um, century farms, multi-generational homes, a lot of elderly or small families just starting out. Uh, so it's not a very high-income area. A lot of these folks live off of their land, and uh, they're afraid, some of them are afraid to eat their chicken eggs, and they're afraid to, to slaughter their animals now. Uh, they're afraid to grow their gardens because they don't know what chemicals are going to come up in those plants. Um, so again, you know, believe it or not, uh, food and water and medicines and cleaning supplies are still some of the greatest needs uh, for these folks. And again, it's just so that they can get caught up uh, because they are just so far behind with a lot of their other expenses. Hey, you know what? One of the things that uh, <laughs> last show, I we had it as a minor topic, actually, but it took off and people were very interested in it. 
and I alluded to it at the beginning today, um, is uh, seed swapping and, and uh, uh, getting a little group together um, and sharing around some of the heirloom seeds that we have. Uh, is it possible? Because the only way you're going to control that type of a situation is to have a raised bed. You know, to actually uh, raise your bed, put in the soil that you're you're confident you know the soil is not contaminated, and uh, growing that. You know, traditional going out and plowing a section of your yard up and rotor tilling it and might not be possible in, unless uh, testing's been done. But if something like that were to take place, is there a way people could uh, maybe send you down with a, a bunch of heirloom seeds to get them started? You know, if they've got growing plots, uh, is that somehow we could get our peeps to talk with your peeps and uh, get that down to them? Or would they be up to it? Do you think that's something that's plausible? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there are some residents that have been doing exactly that, raised beds, greenhouses. Uh, there were seeds that were sent down last year as well. Um, right after the derailment, when we were taking those relief goods in, and again, this is a farming community, so they depend on their gardens and their animals and their farms to help feed themselves. So yes, uh, that would be an amazing, amazing contribution uh, for the folks there. Like I said, there is a, there are quite a few people that are doing exactly that, the raised beds, the greenhouses, to help try and protect themselves and their families. Yeah. Now, uh, are they, because this is a, modern day is uh, pretty amazing if you think outside the box. If you have uh, residents there who are set up to uh, raise chickens, for example. You know, there's some good family hatcheries I usually get my stock from uh, who would probably be very happy to give you a little bit of a discount if you were to uh, buy a couple dozen chicks and send them down there. Just have them delivered right where they're needed. Um, you know, and set it up if if the people are ready for it. Um, but, and that kind of gets to another question I have: How many people are left? How, how who's moved out of the neighborhood? I, I heard a lot of businesses have, but uh, what about the the people? Are have they moved, or are they actually too poor to move? Well, there were well, there were at one time there were two hundred families that were living in hotels. All right, full-time. Now, you have, you know, families of four, families of five, all living in hotel rooms. There were 200 families at the height of this. Um, Now there are still 30 families who have been permanently displaced from their homes that are still living in the Best Western, uh, which is right outside of town. So, you know, you have those families that have been permanently displaced uh, you have other people that they're stuck. Uh, you know, their their property values plummeted, you know, because, you know, people are afraid to buy, you know, uh, real estate in a, in a, you know, in a toxic environment. And, you know, businesses, they're, you know, people have been afraid to come into East Palestine and, and do business, so business is down. You know, so, yeah, people have had to make tough decisions about, you know, whether they were going to continue to live there or not or, you know, like, or whether they continue to do business there or not. And a lot of businesses have moved. You know, you, you just heard Sharice talk about, you know, Norfolk Southern, you know, buying up real estate, which is, which, is a, which is a concern. 
You know, yeah, you don't like to be such a, a pessimist, but my long range, if I look in my little crystal ball here, among the possibilities is for Norfolk Southern to scoop up some land now and then turn around and sell it off to BlackRock. And then, you know, all of a sudden, a couple of years down the road, they determine that it's uh, safe. And now they're growing our food and that crap. Or, you know, they take it all those residential properties. And this is uh, uh, the thing with BlackRock is that uh, I think last year alone, 44 percent of the residential single family homes in America were purchased by BlackRock. Yeah, this is a crisis situation. And I see that area as a prime target for it. They, they're right now driven property values to a basement level scoop it up for pennies on the dollar and and create artificial scarcity in housing and they've just moved everybody off uh, off the rail I, I, I don't know I hate to be a pessimist but I, I think that's what I'd be looking for in the future is for that property along this impacted area to change hands and then you know Americans forget little time goes by and before you know it they're uh, growing you know got a bill gates farm going there <laughs> so yeah so you're saying that a lot of the same supplies are coming they, they need all the same stuff pretty much but, yeah um again the the situation is not much different than it was a year ago for the average resident and you know when we talk about them moving and things like that these folks can't afford two mortgages and that's a lot of the problem they can't get out uh, you know, one gentleman last year when I had talked to him, he had literally just bought his property weeks before, two weeks before the derailment. Um, wow. You know, what do you do? You just He had just bought the property. He's like, I'm stuck. Um, you know, so, and that seems to be a general sentiment echoed by a lot of the residents. They either can't afford to get out or they can't afford to get their entire family out. Because their families, um, you know, while it may be grandma, mom, and a child and grandkids, uh, they all live within the same radius of the three towns there, or three or four towns within the East Palestine area, and they're unwilling to leave their family members behind. So that's another uh, a reality to this situation. It's not just being able to afford to move out for yourself, but these folks are also concerned about leaving their families leaving these these properties that they've had um, through generations it's it's really disturbing he's uh, hanging in there we got a uh, bumper music coming in here got another break coming up stay with us at Bill politics and you're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network we'll be right back after these breaks stay with Say 
handle the truth. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news, real talk, real people. Because you can handle the truth. Tehebo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea helps build red corpuscles in the blood, which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop, and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113, drinksupertea.com. What would you say if I told you we have a new tool that will increase production and lower maintenance costs for your meat processing company, and it would pay for itself in just six weeks? When pigs fly! The new Ease-Off Model EZ4 replaces old spring-style carcass droppers and is faster, safer, and more reliable. The Ease-Off lowers or lifts 1,000 pounds to or from your rail automatically using our remote control. Sounds expensive. Can I afford it? Can you afford not to try the Ease-Off? It installs fast with just three bolts in place of your current dropper. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue and injuries, speed up your line, eliminate downtime, and increase profit. How can I order my EaseOff? Go to EaseOff.com, E-A-Z-E-O-F-F dot com. And hurry, because we are offering $200 off on the new Easy 4 for a limited time. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows too. EaseOff LLC. Summersville, Missouri. 417-932-6419. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read one. This product has been a godsend for my father, who suffered from a heart attack about two years ago. He was prescribed medications for his condition, which was so serious, he almost died. But he hasn't been able to afford most of the medications. After researching alternatives that were more affordable, he tried Extendivite. Since taking it, he has consistently lower blood pressure and experiences less angina. We are currently on our fifth bottle. I enthusiastically recommend this product, and I am grateful that it is available. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your Where he 
was born and raised. It is February 2nd, and um, heading, rocket sledding through the month here. Um, oops, where am I? Am I coming through? There it is. All right, good deal. Thought I lost myself. <laughs> Got to turn my volume on. Um, welcome back to the show's Red Pill Politics. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Please do have republicbroadcasting.org saved into your favorites so that you can go over there seven days a week. Lots of great programmers. Find something you like. Share it around. All right. Get involved in some of the fundraisers. All right. Leave a little donation if you could. Donations large and small are greatly appreciated. Uh, helps us push the signal out farther. If you uh, would like to advertise with us, please do just uh, give a call. That's all you got to do. And we'll work out a mutually beneficial arrangement where you get some advertising and we get some revenue to push the signal out. Um, that being said, uh, we are here today with Soup Mama. Representing the organization is Sharice uh, and Reg. And uh, we're talking about uh, East Palestine and uh, their initial response down there and uh, future trips because you guys are heading down there again. Um, what types of things are, are you short on right now? Um, how can people uh, contribute? Uh, you put up your link so people can uh, track and see what's going on and uh, follow your live streams from down there. Um, but what types of things could you use? And you said water is a big one. Are there any sources of, of water that are closer to East Palestine as opposed to having to truck it from all the way up here? Because I know that was one of the things that was a burden was uh, water is very heavy. And we found that it would have been much more beneficial to get just out of the blast zone, find a good, solid, dependable source of water. But how can people help? How can we uh, help give you the supplies you need for your next trip? Well, um, we actually have a multifaceted approach this time as opposed to some of the other times uh, last year when we went in with supplies. Uh, so first and foremost, um, one of the big questions we had last time was, uh, how can we help? How can we get these things sent there? So what we did was we actually are working in conjunction with the Way Station, which is another nonprofit organization right there in East Palestine. And the Way Station is taking drop ship donations and holding them for us in their facility in a locked room uh, where we can have all that housed so we can distribute on the 23rd. And that helps eliminate some of those costs of bringing everything from the East Coast uh, all the way out to Ohio, there, to the Ohio-Pennsylvania state line there. Uh, we set up an Amazon wish list uh, with basics, water, food, bedding, um, medicines, things like that, so you guys have a general idea of what we're looking for. And if you don't want to give Jeff Bezos your money, we do have the direct drop ship address for the way station, so you can use any company whatsoever to have those items delivered. Uh, one of the other things that we did was we set up um, cash donation QR codes. Two of them uh, you can use internationally, which is Google Pay and PayPal. So if someone wants to just donate uh, financially, what we can do is take those funds then and buy the other items that are needed that weren't drop shipped uh, for distribution for those folks. 
so it is a little bit different um, that way. We do have some other groups that are starting to reach out to us in email, um, hopefully putting together some drives and talking about bringing those supplies in. So as I get that information, um, as we receive that at the, the kitchen, we will be posting that out on social media. So if there is a group in your area that is bring, uh, putting together a collection or a drive, you know where to find them so you can drop those items off. Of course, if anyone is interested or any groups are interested in helping, uh, they can always send us an email at soupmamaofficial at gmail.com, all one word, guys. Um, and then they can reach out to us. We can get in touch with them. Of course, coordinate because this is a—it's a, one of those situations where we need all hands on deck, and uh, we're only so many people. We can only do so much ourselves, but together we can accomplish many, many great things. Um, one of the biggest things people can do, though, to help us out is to actually share out the flyer and the video that we put together. Um, our our video, as, as I was saying before, we're on TikTok. We just started the account not too long ago. It's actually one of our most censored platforms, surprisingly. And the video for East Palestine is a two-minute video we put together uh, just basically showing what happened in the beginning, um, what has been going on, and, of course, some of the after effects uh, for some of these folks medically. And they actually flagged it as sensitive content for graphic photos, uh, nudity or pornography, excuse me, pornography and abuse. And uh, they've been censoring this video. Uh, they've been censoring our flyers. And it's so very important to get the word out because people don't know what's going on because of that censorship. So, I mean, I've seen what they're putting in our kids' school libraries right now, and they don't call it pornography. What did you post that triggered them to call it pornography? <laughs> Uh, a picture of someone's knee. <laughs> oh, I, I posted I, a knee, guys. Uh, a hand, a knee, somebody's face, and um, a bloody tissue, I think. It, oh, and a scalp that had burns on it. So um, some of that, that chemical burn. So, again, it was just literally photos from residents in the area uh, showing some of the things, how they were affected medically. And I literally just took those pictures and put them in, and they're, they're calling them... Uh, like I said, they're calling a knee pornography. I'm not really sure how that falls under that category. Uh, but yeah, again, don't, don't try to make sense of it terrible. at this point. These people have lost their minds. Um, now, one thing about the uh, not only the audience here at uh, RBN, but the, the programmers, too, is there's a lot of people uh, that are focused in on uh, health and homeopathic health, nonetheless. And I know that there's listeners of the network that are thinking about the kids and the people that live there, the things that you alluded to uh, earlier on that bioaccumulate, the longer they're there, the more they accumulate. Um, I know there's folks out there that probably have uh, recommendations and things that would help uh, the individuals on the ground in the blast zone uh, to chelate out some of this stuff, to be healthy. Because um, we don't want people to get sick just to be a statistic, to be able to say, I told you so. I'd like to be able to think that there's something uh, preventative that could be done so that the people that are forced to still uh, live there um, have some kind of a net benefit. So I hope the, the listeners out there, I hope the gears are turning. Uh, I know things like clay pellets, you know, for people that do have heavy metal uh, toxicity issues in their body, something is simple. 
is eating a clay pellet like the size of a vitamin, you know, uh, that that gets into your body and will chelate out a lot of nasty things that are in, that's in your blood. You know, you can't do a lot of it, but there are things like that uh, that are inexpensive, that are natural and might be able to help. So I want you guys thinking outside of the box. Get in touch with Soup Mama through any of the social media. Figure out it got drop spots. I think that's outstanding. You can go out, find something that's going to benefit these people, have it drop shipped right to where they're at. And what do they do? Just put the care of Soup Mama and you'll get uh, whatever th- uh, people send? Yes, that's correct. So the way station has an entire uh, section locked off for any donations that come in uh, directed to Soup Mama official or for the donation drive. So there are currently, uh, we do have, I know someone that works there. I, uh, when I talked to her, she said there are two cases that showed up that are in that locked room at this time, just two. So we have a lot of work to do, guys. Uh, these folks really do need a lot of help. Uh, if you know any businesses or anything like that that are willing to contribute, uh, we would absolutely love to have everyone uh, chip in. And a case of water is not that expensive. You know, it's under $10. And if every family contributes just one case of water or one case of vegetables or a case of immune support tablets, we can make a huge, huge difference. And, again, all of those donations are tax deductible. So, you know, you hang on to your receipts. You can write them off at the end of the year. Uh, we've tried to make it as simplified of a process as possible uh, so that we can use all of the um, donations and funds for the maximum effect for these people. And not only do we, do we distribute to East Palestine itself, but we actually distribute to five towns in the area. And the last times we were in, we had cars over a mile long waiting for relief supplies. So there are quite a few people out there looking for this help, looking for that relief. And again, if you just send it in care of Soup Mama official for the donation drive, like I said, it will all be housed in that locked facility until it's ready for distribution on the 23rd. And we will be live streaming that uh, so everyone can see from start to finish all of their donations, hard at work, going to the people, which is something that, uh, you know, you don't get to see a lot of times with a, a lot of other big, big groups that go into places they are always you know, skimming this and skimming that, and, and they're very little, you know, the trickle-down effect and very little gets to the people. In this case, um, guys, we have already taken the equivalent of five foot trailers last year. Uh, we helped thousands of people, hundreds of families, uh, and again, we want to just bring them a little bit more hope, let them know that they're not abandoned, they're not forgotten, that we, we do care about them, because this could have happened in any town, anywhere in the United States, and these folks did not ask for this. You know, they were just living their lives, uh, you know, doing their, their kids' sports and school and work and jobs and, you know, doing their everyday thing. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, they just basically had a chemical bomb dropped on them. And, you know, their life is so vastly different. And, uh, they again, they've received just zero help. And we as Americans and we as, as countrymen and, and humanity of, of of all kind across the globe, you know, we need to unite and work together uh, because it is a much bigger agenda. And you know, united. Keep the you know the information flowing in, in the live streams because I, I remember when we were doing uh, 
uh, the relief there for uh, the uh, storm relief, we got uh, an initial surge of just all your basics got loaded up, sent it down there. And then things started to change a little bit when the storm actually stopped. Um, you know, people had food and water, uh, medical supplies uh, were there, but we had to fine tune. All of a sudden, we needed diapers. You know, we were seeing pictures of kids wrapped in dirty T-shirts. Um, the victims and the rescuers were getting bitten, uh, the ship bitten right out of them by water snakes all over because all the wildlife was, uh, you know, loose and chaotic. So uh, they were literally in the water biting people. So they needed Benadryl. Now, I would go and do a live stream, and I remember timing it. From the time that I put a live stream out, sometimes 20 minutes later, there was an uptick. All of a sudden, I've got a pickup truck load of diapers, uh, you know, a case of Benadryl. Uh, people respond very quickly uh, to our drop points when we had events, and they were tuned in. If we can get people connected, so if you're listening out there, get on the mailing list, get notifications so that when things are happening – and you have the opportunity to, uh, to jump in and react, you literally can change the flow of donations and supplies uh, to exactly what the, the people uh, need. So that's all good stuff. You've got a good local drop point. People know it's literally going and going to be delivered uh, uh, to the neighborhoods of the people that need it most. So uh, that's all great stuff. Um I'm going to give each of you a minute here. What's your final uh, uh, thoughts for people and uh, um, outlook into the into the future for your your organization? Uh, Reg, would you like to take that one first? Sure, sure. Uh, I, I'd like to first thank you, Dave, for hosting us on the show, and we really appreciate your support throughout the years and. Um, just want to say that uh you know it's our heart is you know as patriots as americans first that's what brought us all together you know um we are uh, supporting patriotic rallies all across uh the nation and actually internationally so uh you know this is something that there was a need that arose. We saw the federal government was not responding. And as Americans, we do what Americans do, and that's to step up and help out our fellow Americans. So I uh, appreciate uh, you having us on, Dave, and appreciate your listeners. Please network. Please share out. You know, know our hearts. Our hearts are to help our fellow Americans. Uh, everything that you donate is tax deductible and will go directly to the families of these communities that have been impacted by this rail disaster. Right. Excellent. Cherise? Well, um, again, I want to echo Reg's sentiments. Thank you very much for having us on here. It is so very important that we do not forget these folks. We do not forget this town. Um, I can tell you that, uh, you know, this whole journey, uh, as, as we started out from the convoy till now, the biggest question that we have always had as a group is, how can I help? And uh, we always, uh, that was one of the things we all had in common as a, as a unit, and that's how we became the nonprofit that we are, because we just want to help. 
And, and that is our main goal. And I encourage you guys to please check out all of the things that we've done in the last two years. Um, we've attended well over 100 different events all across the country, up into Canada, uh, all the way across this great nation. We do try and keep patriots informed and get them together. And our hearts are with East Palestine. And I, I know that um, I speak for all of us when I say we wish so much that we could do so much more for these folks because, again, they are suffering, and these are our neighbors, these are our countrymen, and, um, you know, they really do need our help. And if we can't count on each other as communities uh, to raise each other up, uh, we truly are lost as a nation, and we truly are lost in humanity. So, uh, again, we thank you guys all for all of the support and um, all of the love, all the likes, the shares, uh, it really, truly helps get the word out to patriots all over the place, all over the world. And we hope that you guys get involved and step up and answer the call. And uh, we appreciate every single one of you guys. All right. Good stuff. Well, I'll make sure that uh, I capture all your uh, links and get them posted up in uh, the permanent description down below. I'd really appreciate it if the listeners out there, all right, hit that thumbs up button, get subscribed to notifications, and uh, leave a comment. Um, get in touch with the website, know where you can uh, drop ship stuff, you know, get a little group together and, and do a little drive yourself. Um, and, you know, you got to, everything's really been as, made as easy as it can be for you to uh, jump right in and help out. But uh, thank you guys uh, for. Uh, what you've done and what you continue to do. Uh, you always got a, a line here to call every single uh, week at the same time uh, with updates on how things are going. Uh, you know, keep us updated. As, uh, you know, we do have to support each other. The day's going to come. Uh, in, here in Massachusetts, I can remember an ice storm that hit us, kicked our ass, and I can remember a tornado that went through here, and it was patriots that were the first ones on scene both times all right there's going to come a time where we need help here in our backyard so uh let's uh give generous and uh share the love out there uh you guys thank you very much for coming on uh, the show this week thank you dave all right thank have a good have- okay thank you um yeah so there you have it folks uh good things still going on started as little nucleus in uh, the original uh, uh, D.C. convoy and just blossomed in uh, so much more. Um, and, and we get to know what's going on on the ground, too. It's never the way the mainstream media prostitutes portray it. And right now, if you were, you know, take the media's lead, they would, they're saying there's nothing to see here, folks. There's nothing to see here. Everything's okay in East Palestine. Well, it's not. It's not. And those people that are there, you know, what Sharif said about bioaccumulation is very true. All right. I said, why? Remember when uh, the Eagles and the PCBs, they were worried about the Eagles and their eggshells were getting so soft and they were worried about them going extinct? Well, that was all sexed up. But behind it, and a part of what was true was that those Eagles love to eat lake trout. That lake trout has eaten the uh, smaller fish below it, and then the smaller fish below it that ate that, and so on and so forth through the food chain. When the smallest of little bait fish has a micro dose of a, a toxin, 
and then a larger fish eats three of those, and then a larger fish eats three of those, by the time it gets to what the eagle is eating, it is bioaccumulated through the entire food chain. That's what people don't understand about this stuff. That's what biomagnification really is. And that's what was happening. Oh, boy, burn through this two hours quick. Um, I will remind you folks that uh, senility is not a legal, valid defense for treason, federal crime. So don't believe that. Put that Biden in jail. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Love and appreciate y'all. Fly your flags high. Keep your powder dry. Love each other out there. We'll see you next week. you've been looking for a trusted long-term storable food company we have a solution for you simply clean foods is dedicated to providing the best quality food you can buy next to fresh from a farmer's market our line of resealable fruits vegetables and meats are suitable for everyday use and you won't have to worry about throwing away valuable groceries ever again Our food is completely GMO-free, and our stringent quality controls, plus testing for heavy metals, makes us unique in the storable foods market. Simply Clean Foods' primary focus is to bring clean food to people all around the world and change the way we look at freeze-dried food in our daily cooking. When you purchase from Simply Clean Foods, not only will you be receiving high-quality food, but you will also be supporting veterans in need across the country and those who are affected by natural disasters. Go to republicbroadcasting.org and click on long-term food storage in the rotating sponsors' banners to support RBN. Simply Clean Foods. Do it today. 
You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Truth, truth, truth.